Father, as we look at your word today, I just pray for a clarity in this place and in my heart. Lord, these are some hard questions as we look at this, and Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to understand the things that you want us to hear. Lord, many of us have been taught over the years, whether it's through civics class or government classes, things that we studied in high school, college, whatever. But Lord, inform us by your word today. What do you say about authority? How shall we live in the world in which we find ourselves? How do we deal with the authorities that we contend with? And what happens, Lord, when your authority and their authority don't seem to match up? Lord, just give us wisdom. Give us an open heart today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 13.1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That is, that's a hard thing. Listen to that. The authorities that Paul is talking about are the ones that put Paul to death not too many years after that. Remember, Paul was a prisoner in the house of Caesar. And he was actually doing ministry with people that worked in Caesar's household. There were Christians that were there. He goes on, he says, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want me to be free from the fear of the one? Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Amazing words, aren't they? So several weeks ago, I was on uh, TCT television, Ask the Pastor, and uh, I forget who our host was, I forget his name, but he gave me the last question of the day. Someone called in and said, since gay marriage is a law of the land, should Christians obey authorities and honor the law of the land? I said, thank you for that question. <laughs> he says, you have a minute and a half to answer it. <laughs> so it really is a good question. Let me, let me let you stew in this for a moment. How would you answer that question? And it's a very key question because how shall we then live? How should we live in this world? What if we don't agree with the laws? What if the laws don't agree with God's word or God's standards or God's morality? And by the way, I'm not going to answer all those questions today. We're going to start today and I'll get into this a little bit more next week. Is the command to obey authorities in Romans 13 unconditional? Are there examples in Scripture where people that stood for the Lord did stand against the government? And the, the answer to that is yes, there are. And we're going to look at those. So if that's true, then how do you, uh, how do you disobey authority and what are the consequences? 
When people or an authority or laws conflict with God's word, what should a follower of Christ do? And I want you to think about some of the examples. Daniel appealing to authority. What happens when you work for Nebuchadnezzar? Or what happens when Nebuchadnezzar is your governor or your president? Peter and John resisting authority in a nonviolent way, asking the governing body of the Jewish, the Jewish Sanhedrin, saying to them, well, you guys decide, should we obey you or should we obey Jesus? And they went on preaching in the name of Jesus. Of course, they pay the price for that too. Okay, There's a price when you disagree with authority. And when authority is wrong, you have to pay a price. Martin Luther King Jr. found that out. He spent a lot of time and a lot of his writing was from jail. But he stood against unjust laws and a time that that needed to happen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is another example. Is there a time to take up arms? Bonhoeffer and his brother and the German, the confessing church, which was the church that opposed Hitler, because there was a lot of the church that actually identified with Hitler. I don't know if you know that. There were a lot of pastors that were controlled by the Nazi party, and there were a lot of people that just went along. I'd like to know if we've ever thought about that. What would happen if there was that kind of despotism in the United States? How would we respond? Would we resist the party that took power, that was doing something uh, ungodly or that was persecuting people? We're going to talk a little bit more about that and, and what that means. And Bonhoeffer, in his, uh, if you read his books or some of the biographies about him, uh, that's one of the things that they deal with. So it may surprise people that the Bible teaches that God is the one who has instituted human authority. This includes nations and governments. So let's look at verse 1 again. It says, everyone must submit. Hard words must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So these are, are very powerful words. They're very direct words. Only God's authority is unlimited and perfect. Now, God sets up a lot of authorities. He's telling us here he sets up the authority in government, but he's also the author of authority in the family. He tells us that there are authorities where we work, that we need to honor our employer, and that our employer needs to care for his employees. I mean, there are, these are in the Old and New Testament. The problem is, is when you have an imperfect authority, how do you deal with them, and how do you deal with the laws that are unjust? So we're going to take a look first this morning at how God's authority is expressed in nations. Did you ever think about this? Where do the nations, the idea of nations, come from? Where is the foundation of national law? Does God have anything to do with that? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that, and I find that most people in the church have no clue how God uh, plays a part in the nations and in national and international government. Acts 17, 24, nations were God's idea in his creation. Listen to what Paul says here. He's explaining to people in Athens... At this point, he's telling them uh, about the kingdom of God, and he's explaining uh, from the beginning of time. He's giving them an idea about how God interacts with the nations. And he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand 
when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Two key things that I want you to see there. God decides when nations rise and fall. He also determines their boundaries. Think about that. Every people group, whether they are in a nation and they are conquered or they are conqueror or whoever is in control, will answer to God for what they do. But God has a hand in where the nations are. Had a very interesting conversation uh, years ago with a chief from the uh, Obijwa tribe. I think I'm saying that right. We know them as the Chippewa. And where I grew up, uh, the Chippewa were the native tribe that was there in our township uh, before the Europeans came. Where I, where I grew up was the zero-zero point for the Western Reserve. That's where the surveyors came, and they put their uh, pins in, and they measured all the townships from there. So we're town one, site one, Poland, Ohio was where that all started. It's very interesting. I've gone out to pray over this area, and I've gone back to that zero-zero point because I feel it's an important historical marker, and I've, and I've prayed over that place. Uh, I was actually with a, uh, some tribal people, and they said, you need to go and pray. They encouraged me, uh, and they said, you need to go, and we want to pray over you before you go. It was a very interesting experience because uh, um, Jim Chosa who's uh, an apostolic leader from uh, one of the tribes out in um, Montana, but he was originally from the uh, Chippewa. He said to me, he said, does anybody know where the zero-zero point is? I said, yeah, I used to ride my motorcycle out there. It's a slag dump. It's a big, you know, big open kind of area. He said, well, I want to lay hands on you. And he said, I want you to send you to that place. I, I won't tell the whole story, but the first time uh, I went out to pray, Janice and I went to pray, we just wept over this region, and we prayed for God to move and forgive the injustices. And um, I'll tell you what Fred said to me in a moment, because I met with him after this. When we went back a year later, the pillar that is there marking the zero-zero place had a crack in it, and there was honey dripping out of it, and there were bees. And I felt like it was a sign from God. I have a picture of it that I can dig up if anybody wants to see that. But when I talked to Fred Cantu, he's one of the uh, tribal chiefs up in uh, Michigan, central Michigan, and he's an elder in one of our messenger churches. He said to me, he said, we knew that there were going to be white men that were coming. He said, we expected them to come. We even had prophecies that they would tell us about the one true God. He said, our shamans, our people that you call witch doctors or whatever, he said, they had this idea. And there are many of these stories among the native tribes that were here in America. He said, what we didn't expect was the treachery and the broken covenants. He said, we're glad that the Europeans came, but we're sad that the covenants broke, uh, did not reflect on who Jesus was. And that's the tragedy of what happened. If you know the history of what happened in this area, the gospel came. It came through uh, the German missionaries, the Moravians in the 1730s. And uh, there, were, there were whole groups of Native Americans that were converting to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a polarization. There were lots of, there, the war between France and England came here. The tribes split on both sides. And some of you don't know, but down in Gnaden Hutton, one of the greatest uh, injustices, all of the Christian Indians were massacred by the Americans and the British. They killed them one at a time. They... they uh, Asked them. They thought they were uh, conspiring with the French. And these people all night long knew they were going to die, worship God, and they praised the Lord all night before they died. 
Imagine what would have happened if that hadn't happened because the tribes were all considering becoming Christian. Pontiac said, I like your book, but when I see your leaders living what's in the book, then you can come and teach it to my people. I've studied this a lot. It's very interesting. So the whole point is, is that I've had people say to me, well, there's, the Europeans had no right to come to America. God is the one that sets the times and the places. We have this very interesting, strange idea that the Native Americans were all innocent and that everything was fine here and if we had just left them alone. Well, right before the Europeans came, the Iroquois slaughtered 30,000 Eries Indians, uh, the cat people that were all up in. There was a lot of murder, idolatry, and everything else. And what we're going to find out this week and next week, when a people does not listen to the Lord and when they become when there is bloodshed in the land and there is idolatry, God will allow another people to invade. So I've got news for those of us that are Americans. We can't be proud because we are in danger of losing our lease on the land now because of the way that we're acting. We are in danger, and, and this is true. Uh, the people that are right now doing the racial politics thing, I've got news for people that are into that, that are doing that, that are playing one group against another. We've got a problem, and it's a ubiquitous problem. It's a human problem. We're all sinners. We're all haters at some point. We all need to repent. And we need to cleanse our hearts before the Lord. The world is full of injustices. You go back in time and you look at England. Michael's going to laugh at me now. But England was a number of different tribes. Was it the Celts? Was it the Britons? The Angles? The Saxons? I mean, who? I mean, there's a, you know, there are people that have always come and they've overrun the land. God gives people time and nations to steward the land. And if they are not true to what he has called them to do, and every nation has a destiny from the Lord, has an opportunity, then the Lord will allow another people group to come. Folks, we've already been invaded in measure. And we're in danger now of losing our lease. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. So there, yes, we need to address the injustices of the past. And one of the things that uh, Janice and I have had the privilege of doing is praying with different ethnic groups and some of the native groups that were here before to pray healing over this land. Because we all need to find our place in the Lord Jesus Christ. I got off on a little bit of a tangent, got ahead there, but does that make sense? Okay. In verse 27, let me read on. We'll start in verse 26. He said, From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Hear what Paul is saying there. You feel this heartbeat that there is a destiny for every nation. And the word for nation in the Greek here is ethnos, for every ethnic group. Even beyond national boundaries, it's talking about ethnic groups, okay? And verse 28 says, For in him we lived and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Nations were God's idea in creation. God appoints the times and boundaries of each nation. Let me give you a little bit of history here. There was a moment in time after the flood when Noah had made a covenant with the Lord. God made a covenant with Noah and his family. And he told them, he kind of reinitialized what he told Adam and Eve. He says, go out into all the world, be fruitful and multiply. 
Well, there are a group of people in Genesis 10 and 11 that said, we're not going to go out into all the world and we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to build a city and we're going to create a new identity for ourselves apart from God. It says we're going to create a new name for ourselves. I'll read it in a moment. And we're going to build a tower that reaches into heaven because we're not going to accept God's form of religion. We're going to create our own form of religion. And we're going to put up walls. It was the beginning of the first global initiative led by a guy named Nimrod, who was called a mighty hunter in the earth. And the indication by all the ancients is that Nimrod was not a hunter of animals as much as he was a hunter of the souls of men and women. Genesis 1.11 says this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. I believe this is central western Iraq. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come and let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They knew this was just a couple generations from Noah. These are the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They knew that God said to go into all the world. And they said, "Huh, -uh, we're not doing it God's way. This was a rebellion against God who had told the survivors of the flood to multiply and spread over the face of the earth. So they choose to create a new social identity, a new political structure. For the first time, it wasn't the family or the tribe. They were going to create a city-state that would be in the face of God. It would be centralized government in one place. So here's what the Lord says about it. It says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth because they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. If you read the Table of Nations, there's a good idea that there are 70 nations. Some say 70, some say 72. The rabbis who look at the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament during the Feast of Sukkah, they uh, pray for all the 70 nations back in this part of Genesis, that God would reveal himself to the nations. That's part of what Israel's responsibility was to steward this priesthood so that all the nations would come to know him. But it goes back to this moment when God dispersed the nations. Interestingly enough, if you look at some of the theories that are, these are not Christian theories, these are um, sociology and geography and things like that, people will talk about the cradle of civilization and how everything spread out from there. There is a great dispersion. What the Bible talks about uh, is indicated. There's this outward movement from the Middle East at that time. People will say well, there must have been a famine. Or maybe God confused all the languages and people couldn't communicate and they went out different ways, okay? I choose to look at it God's way, okay? It's funny because in sociology class, they talk about how everybody started out as polytheists and they became monotheists. No, everybody started out as a monotheist with one God and their hearts became wicked and they began to worship their ancestors and then they turned it into idolatry and they get the whole thing backwards, so that's what happened. But at one time, all the nations had a witness of who God was. And when Paul says his, he does he, all these nations, that he set up the nations so that they would seek him, it was a desire to slow down this wickedness on the earth and cause people to seek after him. 
It's interesting how God's anointing and power have been expressed through the nations at various times because it seems like in almost every age there is a nation that has a responsibility of sending the gospel all over. 500 years ago, believe it or not, it was Germany. And they started sending out the Moravian missionaries everywhere. They were the first missionaries here in this part of the world. You look 300 years later and the higher criticism that had entered the German seminaries, that there was a turning away from God and you see Germany go into a dark period. And, and it's true as you look at different nations. England was another nation that God used in a mighty missionary outpouring. The United States for a season was that whole thing. Can I tell you now, where are most of the missionaries come from? Where are, where are the largest missionary sending countries right now? China, China is probably the largest. South Korea. Do you know, I saw pictures of a missions convention, 1.2 million people in an outdoor assembly. In South Korea, 100,000 people dedicated themselves to be missionaries that day. Hallelujah. It's really funny. News, I think it was, uh, no, it was Time Magazine because it was their bureau chief from Beijing. It was writing a story called Jesus in Beijing. It was a great article about 20 years ago. But it turned up persecution in China because it opened people's eyes to what was happening with the church. But he said, well, all of Islam is looking to the decadent West, trying to wipe out Christianity. A pure form of Christianity is rising up in the house church movement in Asia and all through Eastern, uh, all through Eastern and Central Asia, and it is spreading West. And guess what the Lord has spoken to the Chinese church? If you ask leaders in the church, they feel like God has called them to bring the gospel from the East all the way to Jerusalem. For those of us that were in Israel in May, I want you to think with me for a moment, all the groups that were there that we saw, there are more Asians visiting Israel than ever before. We had a group of Japanese people that watched our baptism service. I don't know if they were believers or not, but there's such an amazing interest. God is doing something, and it's bigger than what we could ever think or imagine. We have these funny ideas that everything is dependent on us. If the United States goes down, what's going to happen to the church? You know, it's really, you want to know what's really decadent? Is a lot of Christians over the last hundred years have thought that, the, that God needs the money of the United States to do his work. That's a sinful thought that diminishes God. Yes, the Lord can use our money as we give our heart to him, but he really doesn't need our money to accomplish his purposes. And he's at work in the nations in ways that we can't even imagine. You look at that scripture that Paul talks about that we started about in Romans 13. And you say, how can he say that about Rome? God used Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most wicked rulers of all time, to proclaim the gospel to all the nations starting in Babylon. Think about that. God sent a bunch of guys like Daniels and Esthers and all these people to do stuff like that. We think that God is limited. He's always worked through the nations. When you hear some of the stories about how the wall came down in Eastern Europe, you will find out that radical Christians were at the basis of a lot of that happening. And that story isn't told because our press is biased against Christianity. Did you know that? It was Christians praying, Christians being out in the street. Did you know that some of the Christians in China that were standing in front of the bulldozers in Tiananmen Square, what was that, 25, 30 years ago now? We're radical Christians? We, need to, we, we, are not, we don't receive our news well because people are so bigoted against Christianity. I'll just say it straight out. 
And we're not hearing the real news. But God is at work in ways that we can't even imagine. I want you to be encouraged by this. God's design for the nations. Nations were his idea and creation. God appoints the boundaries for each nation. Listen to what Daniel says in Daniel 2, 19 through 21. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. Remember, this is where uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, don't even talk to me unless you have the vision that I had, and you can tell me what the vision was. And I'm going to kill all of you guys, all of the magi, all of the false prophets and whatever, because... You, you guys are all fakers, and I want somebody that's for real that can tell me what's really going on. And Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pray to the Lord, and they sought the Lord, and God gives Daniel this vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. What was Daniel talking about? He was talking about the vision that God gave him of all the Gentile nations that would rule until the time of the end, starting with Babylon. Do you remember the head of gold and the chest of silver? God shows Daniel that it's not a matter of chance that nations rise up, that nations rule. But instead of that, God has a plan and God even uses despotic rulers to accomplish his plan. God uses ungodly things to do. He used Assyria to discipline Israel and later used Babylon to discipline Judah. And he tells the people through Jeremiah, I've chosen Nebuchadnezzar. The the people's heads were ready to explode. What do you mean you chose Nebuchadnezzar? So you know what they did? They went down to Pharaoh Necho and thought that he would protect them from Nebuchadnezzar. They they disobeyed God, and many of them lost their lives in the process. Jeremiah kept trying to warn them. Jeremiah says, listen, go with them, be part of this. And what did God do? Israel had been unfaithful in presenting the gospel to the nations. They had turned to idols. The Lord takes them to Babylon, and in a matter of a couple years, through Daniel and a couple of other key leaders, every one of the nations get a revelation of who God is. They see these three guys in a furnace that have been thrown in to be killed, standing with a fourth one who's the Son of God. And they realize that there is a living God and there's a son of God who is present here on earth. And they walk out of the furnace and everybody's going, all right, these guys have a real God. We've got idols. We need to talk. How fast did the gospel go over all the world? Do you know how many countries? There were 100 different, 120 satraps, they called them, leaders that were all over the, most of the known world. That word got back to every one of those people groups. There was a witness of God because God has a higher plan. Amen. And this is what we need to see. So Paul wasn't just speaking, saying, I want to give these guys these words because I don't want to get in trouble with the people of Rome. He was a student of Daniel. He was a student of Jeremiah. He was a student of Israeli history throughout the ages. And he saw what happened. You can't keep a good Israeli down. You may scatter them throughout the world, but the problem is they are going to be a witness. And and the people of God, when you scatter them, they may be persecuted, they may suffer, but they will go throughout all the world. Let me give you another quick scenario about this. Jesus says to his disciples before he goes in Matthew 28, I want you to go into all the world in the Jewish mind, there's a filter, and they heard we, he wants us to go from uh, all the way up in the north in Assyria down to uh, Judea. He said all the world. 
They didn't believe it. They wouldn't go beyond that. So guess what happens? The Lord allows persecution to come to the church. And it says the disciples are scattered everywhere. And what happened? The next thing you see is Philip ends up in Samaria, the people that the Jews didn't want to hear the gospel. And they started getting baptized in the Spirit, and they started getting healed, and they said, "Uh uh-oh, better call for the apostles. These guys are included. Then another guy. Remember, the Italians came next, okay? (laughs) There's this amazing revelation, and God, God has to literally scatter them. Sometimes God's purposes are bigger than we realize, and we think the world's out of control. I want to tell you right now, our world looks pretty scary, but it's not out of control. God has a plan. He's at work at levels that we can't even imagine. We get discouraged when we listen to the news because it's a secular, materialistic mindset that doesn't even consider that God might be at work somewhere. It's terrible, some of the injustices. If you were here last Sunday night and saw the movie about persecution, and we may play it again sometime, it was just very powerful, very moving, very disturbing. But at the end of the day, these little girls from northern Iraq and Syria are on Egyptian TV talking about how they forgive people because that's what Jesus told them to do. And even though people destroyed their house, they didn't want everybody to come to know Jesus. And everybody in Egypt hears a witness of Jesus. And the lady that's interviewing them, she is a prominent newscaster, says, I need to teach my, pe- my children about Jesus. Think about that. So we, yes, there are injustices in the world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness. The Lord told us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. God's plan is bigger. It doesn't mean we'll always have an easy way of it, but God is there. So Daniel tells us he allows rulers to rise. He topples them as he pleases. He uses rulers that seem unlikely. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Pharaoh, It was a king of Persia that was prophesied over a couple hundred years before that he would be used to rebuild the temple that gives the word to the Jews to go rebuild their temple. Unlikely rulers. Daniel has this vision of Gentile empires that will arise between his time and the end of the age. God has a plan that will not be thwarted. Isn't that exciting? We also need to know, number two, that every nation and people group have a distinct destiny from God. Psalm 67, 4 says, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people justly and guide the nations of the earth. The Lord has a way of speaking to leaders and getting through to leaders. Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Again, the word ethnos, to all people groups, to all languages. And then the end will come. What does he prophesy? Everybody's going to hear Every group is going to get a chance. Everybody's going to get an opportunity to press into their destiny. Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. I love this picture. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. When you think about heaven, do you think about a lot of people just like you? Get over it. It's going to be a very wonderful, interesting place. Janice had a dream about heaven um, years ago. I've referenced that many times. But one of the things that delighted me is that uh, Jesus was invited for dinner, and I came over that night. We were living in different houses. I got the dog. (laughs) But Janice had this meal laid out, and we just laughed and laughed. There's wine that didn't make people drunk. But from the very beginning, we were laughing so hard. And you said, as you looked around the table, there were all these people wearing different clothes from different periods, different ethnic groups. 
and we were all around the table. We could all understand one another, and we were just all rejoicing. Let me give you a little clue here. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God poured out his spirit and all the people heard in their own language the praises of God. That was the first fruits. That was a sign, a beginning, that God's purpose was to redeem all nations. It was a beginning of what heaven was going to be like because all the walls are going to come down. And there are a lot of globalists that are not bad people. They really have a sincere heart to see nations and people come together. I think that's a wonderful thing. I don't condemn anybody for that. We're going to talk about globalism more next week, but uh, and, and nationalism, we're going to talk about some of those things, okay? But I want to tell you that I think it's a desire in the heart of every human being to see what God has planned for us, and that is every tribe, language, nation, and people. Let me finish reading this. I, got, I get excited. <laughs> no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing right robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Yeah. Revelation 5.9, next slide there. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. God's millennial kingdom, his thousand-year reign when Jesus returns. He doesn't immediately make a new heavens and a new earth. That comes later. The judgment of all people comes at the end of those thousand years. But at the beginning of the thousand years, there's a judgment of the nations that Matthew 25 talks about. And then there's a restoration of all nations. And it's a beautiful thing. Each language, nation, ethnic group has a place in the new kingdom of God. Number three, and I'll just do a couple more and then we'll save the rest for next week. Each nation will be judged and weighed according to how they responded to God. Every people group and every time will be judged. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about one generation rising up against another and condemning them. Very interesting, isn't it? Generations will be judged for the opportunities they had in the time they were in, and nations will be judged on how they stewarded the truth of God that they had in the time and place that God gave them. Do we understand that? And it's not just Israel. We have this funny way of looking at the Bible. Do you realize we have a number of books in the Bible that aren't even centered around Israel? Jonah and Nahum were about Assyria and God contending with a people group and giving them a chance to repent. They knew who the one true God was. There was more repentance there than probably any other nation in the city of Nineveh when the king, all the way down to the most humble of men, ripped their clothes and repented of their wickedness and turned their hearts back to God. See, we think that God was just concerned about Israel when he was concerned about all the nations all along. Does that make sense? Yes. Not only did he take Israel out of Egypt, but he revealed to the people of Egypt who the one true God was and that he was a powerful God. Get the picture. So each nation will be judged. Matthew 5, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This is the first judgment, by the way. This is the judgment of nations when Christ returns. It says, all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The sheep being the people that belong to him, the goats. Sadly, I like goats, but they're on his left. Joel 3.1, it says, In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, 
Remember what I said last week, God restores Israel at the end of the time of the Gentiles, and then there's a judgment on the wicked nations. He says, then I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up the land. Can I tell you that every nation that seeks to divide Israel and take the land that God has given them will bring a judgment on themselves? That's something that people don't want to hear, but it's true, and it's so clear in Scripture. And people say, well, it's only in the Old Testament. It's not, and it's in the New Testament as well. Number four, Israel was not chosen to the exclusion of other nations, but to be a blessing to all nations. Israel wasn't the only inheritance of God. They were chosen by God to be a blessing to all the other people. Colossians 3.8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. It was the purpose and destiny of Israel to be a blessing to all the nations, to reveal God. When Israel was doing well, that was a place where the people could come and they could see what was going on. Do you know one of the theories theologians have why Jesus was so incensed? We see Jesus with righteous anger actually taking time to weave a whip and chase the money changers out of the temple. Do you know why? They had set up in a place that was called the court of the Gentiles. It was the place where the Gentile nations were allowed. It was the only place in the temple they were allowed to come and pray and seek God. And one of the things that theologians will tell you as you look at that scripture and you understand Jewish culture is that Jesus was incensed because they had closed down the opportunity for the other nations to see the true God. Think about that. Isaiah 49.6, he says, is it, it's, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. We have this funny idea that somewhere God got saved between Malachi and Matthew, <laughs> and that he becomes a, a God. God's purposes have never changed. He's always wanted all the nations to know him. Israel was blessed by God to be a blessing to others. Number five, a nation that resists God's correction will come under God's judgment. As I have studied the scriptures, the Old Testament, and one of the clearest places to see this is Isaiah chapters 1 through 5. He talks there about a civilization that has rejected God. That's the portion of scripture where he says, Woe to the unjust judges who call evil good and good evil. As I look at what's happening in Isaiah 1 through 5, we've come, we are probably in violation of 80% of what Judah was and Israel in the time of Isaiah. America's in trouble. And we need to repent. But there are four things that come out, and actually five things that come out in Scripture. And I won't take time. You can write those Scriptures down. We'll put that up on the website for you. By the way, just on a side, if you get on the website and you get the audio file, you'll see down in the bottom left, there's a place where there are resources. You can click on that, and usually we have a PowerPoint there that you can download. So these notes will be up there. Bloodshed is one of the main reasons that God judges a nation. When bloodshed is allowed, I think one of the reasons why the native tribes lost their place, the greatest war in North American territory besides the Civil War was the Lake Erie War between the tribes, and that was about 1650. It was amazing. Tens of thousands of people were killed, and the people that were 
the people that stewarded Northeast Ohio were literally wiped out. It was a genocide. From Conneaut all the way to Sandusky, the cat people were wiped out, tens of thousands of them by the Iroquois. The Iroquois said we had enough, and they just took it all. So when people tell me that everything was fine before the Europeans came, this continent has bloodshed that goes way back. Well, when there is bloodshed on the land, the blood cries out. So here's a secret. We see it in the lives of uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. God says to Cain, he says, where's your brother? And he says, I hear your brother's blood crying out from the land. Let me give you a clue here. God is eternal. When he looks at our planet, when he looks at the community of Hudson, he sees and knows everything that has happened on this land because the land is a recording device. It speaks to God. When we started cleansing this land, when we bought this land from the factory that was here, and we started walking the land, and some of you that were here for a long time will remember we had pictures of the people that were here hundreds of years ago. We had a picture of a number of native people. The Seneca were on this land, by the way, part of the Iroquois tribes. We had a picture of a group of women with a fire and a European coming and chasing them off the land. And the Lord said there was an injustice here that needs to be prayed for. There needs to be healing on this land. Because God is eternal. He can see all things. The land is constantly speaking to him. I, I don't know if it's just me. Other people have this gift too, but I'll go to a place like Gettysburg and I just start having pictures and visions because the land is speaking and I believe God is revealing things to me. We can go, we can do a whole series on that, but I'll stop there. Idolatry is another thing. When there's idolatry in the land, it brings God's judgment and wrath against the land. Sexual immorality. When there's sexual immorality on the land, it causes the judgment of God to fall. This is so clear in all the prophets. Broken covenants. Read Malachi 2. You know, it's interesting. You read Malachi 2 and the Lord says, I am against you. And you say, how can you, how, Lord, how can you be against us? And he says, you've broken faith with the wife of your youth. He said, the men of this land have not been true to their wives. You've broken your marriage covenants. And because of that, there is a blood guilt on the land. There is a judgment against you. And that's where the Lord says, I hate divorce. And you look at that and you go, wow, how must the Lord feel about our, our land? I know some of you, don't you guilt out on me. Hear what I'm saying here. Sometimes you've done everything you can and your spouse leaves you and you've done everything you can to make it work, please don't come under condemnation. But I remember a Christian counselor years ago, we sent somebody to this Christian counselor for the first time, and the person came back and said, they told me just give up, get a, get a divorce. And the last time I sent somebody to that counselor, we need to contend for the covenants that we make. Does this make sense? And finally, we already talked about nations that seek to destroy Israel also bring judgment on themselves. That seek to destroy that land. God always, in his judgment, when judgment first begins, it is redemptive and restorative. Judgment usually comes in waves, and the Lord does things to get our attention, to wake us up. I believe he's done a number of things, especially in the last 21 years here in the United States, to wake us up. And I'm going to talk more about this next week. We need to pay attention to what the Lord is saying I know some people think because Trump was elected that we're out of the woods. Some of you don't like Trump at all. I've got to tell you, Trump is not going to save this country. 
and neither is any Democratic leader. Like one of my brothers preached a message, Jesus will not arrive on Air Force One. So that stops here with the question, as people who belong to the kingdom of God, what is our responsibility? How do we relate to the government and the authority systems that we live in? And hopefully this is a foundation, because next week we're going to get into the nuts and bolts and talk about that. I can't tell you how strongly I feel about this, because I feel like the Lord is saying, this is where a lot of people are living right now and don't know it. And the season to come, there's a time of shaking that's coming. I'm going to have Nancy share a word that the Lord gave her this week about the next season that's coming. For those that are people of prayer that love the Lord, it's going to be a good season. But we need to be ready. And the Lord told me that this series of messages in Romans that I'm doing on this is preparing us for what is coming. Can we stand together? Lord, we just we give you praise and glory and honor. I, I want to thank you, Lord, that you're bigger. I, the, the more I get to know you, you amaze me. And I look at the scriptures and I realize God is so, since you are eternal and since you are so powerful, you're beyond anything I can ever think or understand or imagine. It, you're, it, you're just amazing. Lord, we thank you that you are in control, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose, that you have a design. Open our hearts to understand, Lord, what you are saying to us in this season. Help us to understand how we are to stand and be salt and light, to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, as your word says. And Lord, encourage our hearts today that we would realize that you play a greater hand in affairs and you're more in control than we ever knew. So Lord, we just pray and we thank you for your blessing. Open our hearts to understand these things, we pray in Jesus' name.